empire of lies, an oasis of truth, free speech, and open debate in the vast wasteland that is still the Biden administration and New World Order. I'm Lee Stranahan, and this is The Backstory. So how you doing, Ron? Uh, I'm doing all right, Lee. You can't complain. How about yourself? Well, you know, okay. It's a it's a bit of a disappointing day. Would you yeah. say that? Be, yeah. Be honest. No, no, I, I would definitely agree with you. Now, I'm going to look on the bright side, however, Rod. Remember, we, we talked about this before. Kanye at one point, when Trump won, Kanye said, it's good because now I can become president. Remember that? <laughs> yeah, I remember that. So I feel now I have a shot at the Senate. I, I, even if I have another stroke right now, I could still win. Because apparently you can be, you can dress like a bum and have a stroke. So I got that going for me. How do you feel about the federal win, John? I mean, Rod? Uh, I don't, I don't trust it, Lee. Not at all. You know, um, this it's not a beauty contest or uh, a, a how charismatic you are, but you know, from the people, from the people and the sample size that I took in over the couple months, uh, nobody liked this guy. Nobody was even thinking about. Oh, no, I'm saying the people I spoke to who wanted to even, you know, either they weren't voting or they definitely weren't voting for Fetterman, but somehow he's, you know, somehow he becomes the winner. And Pennsylvania is a state where there's no voter ID. And uh, Project Veritas was in Philly and showing how the mail, the mail-in ballot boxes, which are uh, like there's like four of them, like surrounding City Hall um, in Philadelphia, are unsecure uh, and and whatnot. So I don't, I don't believe it. Shapiro, I get you know, yeah, but the Fetterman, I just don't trust it. I have another theory, Rod. Let me run this by you. Ready? The voters of Pennsylvania are stupid. Thank you. That's, that's my whole theory. Because this does not seem out of line with other voting they've done in Pennsylvania. Does that make sense? No, I would dis- I would not disagree with that, Lee. And, um, you know, uh, we can talk more in depth about that. And it's, uh, it's an education thing. People, the more educated you are, the more you're going to vote for Demi- Democrat um, and things like that. Even Fetterman. Yeah, the, the uh, Richie Rich, you know, the, the guy who is a 50-year-old bum and now he wants to become, he's a senator. So you imagine being an educated person, successful person who's, you know, a doctor or a lawyer or something and voting for Fetterman, thinking he's my senator now. That's bizarre. But again, Pennsylvania voters are stupid. They vote Democrat consistently. So... In that sense, it's not a shock to me, and I'm willing to believe it with my theory. But let's talk about who's on the show today. In the first hour, we've got Nabosha Malish, the great writer, and we're talking about the Russian pullback from Kherson that was announced this morning. It's also somewhat disappointing, but I'm realistic about things. And we've been talking about the possible pullback from Kherson for weeks, I think, Rod. Correct? Yeah, you spoke about it with multiple guests. Uh, you know, uh, we speak about it with Mark uh, very frequently as well. Yeah. Mark Sloboda. And uh, he said it was possible it was going to happen, but he didn't think it was. So I think this is somewhat of a surprise. 
but I think it is also, we'll, we'll talk about it. Nebosha's on in the first hour to talk about it. Then, in the second hour, who we got, Rod? We have a former, well, now former congressional candidate. Uh, right, right, Darius Mayfield. Yeah. See, I, I remembered eventually. But Darius Mayfield, former candidate from New Jersey, we'll be talking to him. He's been on the show before, and he's a great guest. And we're taking your calls. 202-521-1320. Rod, what's the name of the show? You're listening to the best show on the radio, The Backstory. Now, I'll be honest. The other thing I find a bit weird, now that we've hit, what are we in now? Is it daylight savings time or not daylight savings time? We changed the clocks on Sunday night, right? So what does that make it now? Yeah, we jumped the hour ahead, yeah. So is that daylight savings or not? I what, so, yeah. what do we call this time? Yeah, it's daylight savings time, right? I, I don't know. The whole thing confuses me. I just am a sheep. I do what they tell me to do. When they say set the clock back or forward on this day, I go, in fact, I don't even do it. Everything happens automatically now. Oh, you know, actually, it's the opposite. Daylight saving times ended this Sunday. Right. That's what I thought. But now that it's not daylight savings time, in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, where I am, the show ends at 5. And do you know sundown is today? I checked last night. It's 5.08. So when I go out in my living room after the show, it's basically dark already. You know, if it's a cloudy day, it's dark already, which is weird. I know, I know I've had this time change before, but it, it, you know, when you come out and it's immediately dark, it kind of affects your mood. Does that make sense, Rod? Oh yeah, that's been studied. That's just been studied uh, for a while. I remember learning that in uh, in uh, public school when I went to public school in Philly. You know, when they used to teach, you know, regular education, not gender stuff. So yeah. So with everything else going on, it's a bit disorienting, and because here's the other thing, and I'll be honest, the media still lies. The media. Apparently, the Republicans have a majority in the House or are expected to have one. Okay, is that what you understand? Yeah, that's what that's my understanding as of right now. But it might change. Who knows? The Republicans have the majority in the House. Apparently, everybody's saying that. But mainstream media, if that is the they get you eventually, their headline is, well, the GOP didn't get the red wave. And they make it seem like the GOP lost. Does that make sense? Yeah, and they, but if the best part of it is the, the media said they're non they're nonpartisan, but obviously they are. Right, and and they keep saying, well, the G, they make it seem like the GOP didn't win anything. And I'll put it like this: if the GOPs won the House of Representatives, then they control the committees, and that means. Biden will get impeached, right? Now, will it go to the Senate? I think so, because I think it's just serious charges. And and this GOP might take the Senate. And that is apparently down to Herschel Walker. Apparently, the GOP is a razor-thin margin 
they're going to have like one vote if Herschel Walker wins. But because neither candidate, Warnock or Herschel Walker in Georgia, has 50 percent of the vote, it's going to go to a runoff in a month. That's what it seems like is going to happen. Right, Rod? Yeah, I believe December 6th, that's supposed to be when the runoff uh, is. And, um, you know, um, I just, again, you know, this is me, Lee, but, I, you know, how do you just get this percentage uh, where both, both, neither of them can cross 50%? Uh, again, I just don't trust this stuff. Uh, and I know Raffensperger came out yesterday and he was, you know, talking about Trump and, and uh, election deniers. And he's, you know, a Republican as well. Yeah, no, also... I think the big loser last night was Donald Trump, actually. And I think the big winter was Ron DeSantis. Do you agree? First off, in his race for governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis, 20% lead, right, over his, over his opponent. So it was a rout. Ron DeSantis won handily in Florida. And Dr. Oz is on Trump. In fact, I think, you know, you don't think it's fair, but but leaving that aside, if voters were not excited about uh, Fetterman, they didn't have a good alternative. Would you agree if they had a stronger candidate than Dr. Oz, they might have been able to win? Oh, 100 percent, Lee. You know, we talked about this when when it was going on. you know that, that Donald Trump made a mistake uh, endorsing Dr. Oz, and the uh, Republicans in Pennsylvania were also urging him not to. But you know, whoever his advisors are, guys like Stephen Miller, I'm not Stephen Miller, um, I'm, I'm uh, Jason Miller from Teneo, uh, probably advising him to go after someone like Dr. Oz. So, and one thing about the uh, Dr. Oz thing, I'll say this: I was thinking about this earlier. He's constantly called a reality TV star. You've heard that, right, Rod? Reality TV star Dr. Oz. Or TV host. Yeah, I've heard TV host. Yeah, so, but I don't think he's actually a reality TV anything. Reality TV, to me, is a show like Survivor or The Apprentice or maybe The Bachelorette. But Dr. Oz is a guy who was on Oprah a lot. So, basically, he was a get, a frequent guest on a talk show, not a reality show, anything. Does it make sense, Rod? I'm Yeah, I'm no, he's, quibbling, he's a, yeah, no, but, he's a real he's a he's a real doctor who had a show uh talking about a lot of uh medical advice and medical reviews of certain things, uh, treatments and medications and things like that. Um and Oprah did endorse him uh to to get that show. And but then she came out two days ago and said that if she was in Pennsylvania, she would have voted for Fetterman. See, I think it's the way they pitch it because they're trying to demean Trump by saying reality star rather than saying host of a medical show, Dr. Oz. Does that make sense? Right. And and so it's a minor point, but he's not a reality star. He never was. Did you see him engage in any running races on an island or proposed to a woman. I I miss that. No, n- never, never happened. Lee. He was talking about, he used to, when he uh, first started to talk about controversial things uh, like vaccines, I, I seen him do an episode on that. Um, 
so yeah, no, he's a 100% real doctor, and um, John Fetterman's a 100% uh, a guy who's had multiple strokes and then needs a computer to read now, to read what you say. Now he's senator. And, that, you know, in another sense, let me thank God for giving me John Fetterman for six years to talk about. He could have gone away, and I never could have goofed on him again. But as a person who's in the news business, uh, and I talk about people and goof on them, it's a blessing. Would you agree John Fetterman is a blessing for people like me, Rod? Yeah, for sure, Lee. And, uh, you know, I I was seeing on Twitter and YouTube comments. um, On Twitter, I'm seeing less bots, so I'm guessing it's a real person uh, saying that, you know, uh, this is a win. This is a win. And for anybody who's an ableist, you know, up yours. So um, there you go. So I don't know what they're going to be able to say to you, Lee. And I don't know if I'm an ableist. I don't think I am. I think because I've had strokes and I'm still kind of goofy from them. I'm not an ableist, thank God. But 202-521-1320, let's go to first. With Al Keller, we see you, we'll get to you in one second. We're going to Tarif first. Tarif from Louisiana, what's on your mind? Thank you all for taking my call. I want to talk about the election and what um, Trump can do, so it's two comments into one. Now, this was most people is missing, all right? I've been reading threads, right, on Twitter. Uh, put two, to, two together, Lee. Check this out. Mitch McConnell messed over the GOP. He put money behind candidates, from what I understand, I was going to win already, and he took money from candidates that was behind a, a part or two. People didn't start doing the research, and they realized um, Mitch McConnell screwed them. And also, no work was done with the GOP to work with the uh, libertarians because some of the some of the votes, some of the bleed-off votes went to the libertarians, right, in, like in Pennsylvania, Georgia, and, and elsewhere. And another thing with the Republicans didn't do and they should have done, you see when the Green Party was trying to get on those, um, get on those ballots, the Republicans' best option was to help them get on those ballots because when the Green Party was on the ballots in 2016, before then, they had people bleeding off into the Green Party, not voting for the DNC. They was going to the Green Party. And that's what helped out Trump in 2016. That's a, another major thing that was missed. In my, and, and to go along with that, now, look, check this out. When, when uh, Trump declares his his candidacy November 15th because he did all he can do, I wish he would have done more. He could have spent more than $14 million on some of these candidates. He need to call out Mitch McConnell, and he need to go crazy. I mean, not crazy, but you know, sensible on Twitter. Wants to lay on lie him back on Twitter, and also when they have the meetings, the um, um, hearings in the Congress, because I'm, I'm pretty sure the um, the Republicans going to win the Congress over again. They should put everything on Twitter, since you know it's going to be a little bit more uh, 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 free speech on Twitter supposedly, and for the next two years they can. Uh, put out the case for the next two years um, talking about the DNC and things of that nature and what was going on. But yeah, Mitch McConnell really screwed over the GOP with on giving it funds to, to other people that was winning instead of the other people that actually needed and um, not paying attention to the uh, Libertarians and also the Green Party with this sh- they should have helped get on those ballots. That's my comment. Well, the Republicans, of course, don't want open ballot access for the libertarians, 
or the Greens because they don't want anyone. They want like the two-party monopoly that they have. So great call Tarif. And I think a number of good suggestions that the GOP won't take. One thing I thought, Rod, I heard a, a media pundit on mainstream media saying the reason the GOP lost is people wanted not the MAGA extremists. And they said this, a reporter that Donald Trump proposed. What kind of MAGA extremist is Dr. Oz? People wanted the MAGA extremists. People wanted people to stand for something, not Dr. Oz. The reason Dr. Oz failed, I think, is I don't know really what he stands for. Do you, Rod? No, I don't know what he stands for. He just wants to be in the spotlight and being a senator keeps him in the spotlight. You know, the show's over, you know, shows like his aren't around anymore. So he just wanted to take up a new mantle as a celebrity senator. Right. And I, I think once again, what they're trying to do is to back people off. They're trying to say, don't take these extreme positions, by which they mean getting towards the truth. Extreme doesn't mean anything. Extreme means a position they really don't like. But 202-521-1320, killer of owls, the great owl killer, part of our community of callers on the backstory. Owl killer, what's on your mind? I'm still waiting for uh, Elon to uh, make uh, Twitter free speech. Um, he's got more control over Twitter than Trump had over the government. Um, let me talk about the Fetterman and the Fetterman um, win in Pennsylvania. So it's one of two things. It's either like. Well, so, Al, let me stop before you go on. What would Elon have to do when you say he's making it more free speech? She's fired executives, but that's not enough for Al Killer. Al Killer needs a whole Megillah. So what do you need, Al Killer? What's going to take for Al Killer to be convinced that Elon is pro-free speech? You see any um, conservative or libertarians on that board that he just came up with to uh, moderate content? I can tell you who's on. So that's what you need? It's wasn't it wasn't it supposed to? Didn't he come in there with a sink and do a whole a whole uh, big um, production about how free speech is back? And um, but he puts the people in charge that are already that were caught up in that um, that just just in general the ADL. I'm, I'm pretty sure I, I don't want to slander them, but I'm pretty sure the ADL is on this board of. Um, content moderators that he's putting together and weren't they didn't they just come out in that in that uh news article um last week about how they were using the government was using uh nonprofits to facilitate information to facebook and twitter well they were for sure you mean the, the intercept article the intercept article what, what i'm pretty sure a few of those um nonprofits are on this um, board of advisors. Okay, so so I mean, you you don't like the board. You want to see someone different on the board, and you're concerned about the board. If that change, do you, do you, you know, for to tell, oh, this is acceptable, this is not. Do you really need? What's that? I mean, do you do you need a board of people to tell to to say, okay, this is acceptable, this isn't? I think humans are smart enough to determine, okay. 
Did they call for violence? Are they saying anything uh, racial? If not, let, let it be. You're allowed to have uh, di- difference of. A- so I don't. I don't agree. It's inherent that people know the difference. I want someone who's a fierce advocate for free speech, who knows free speech law, and who understands the Brandenburg decision, because Brandenburg really plays in here. A lot of this stuff. Brandenburg says, if you call for violence specifically, that's what it has to be. But short of that, it's free speech. Uh, Does that make sense? Which I agree with, but that is not what is happening. And I think he's scared money-wise. I think they're really putting it to him where he's like, man, I may have bit off more than I could chew. Half my wealth just went into this purchase. And the the threat of the advertisers, I think that's nonsense. I mean, you could have uh, Mike Lindell will do a whole lot of advertisement over there. Um, but I, I think he's, he's scared because he knows the people that control the bankers, they will Kanye him. They, they will, they will make it, they'll take his bank accounts. They'll make it impossible for him to do business. And because he is in, because he gets government contracts, he's at the, at the end of the day, he's still at the mercy of them. No matter if he wants to play Tony Stark and Mr. Mars and all that, he can play it. But at the end of the day, he doesn't have a bank. He doesn't have he can be he can be even centered himself. So, Al Hiller, what's your take on these elections? So my my take on the elections are one or two things. Either we, we have two elections, right, where Carrie Lake right now, it's still too early to um, tell. But I think she's behind a, a couple thousand votes. The, Katie Hobbs didn't debate her once. And then you had Fetterman up in Pennsylvania. The guy, that debate was a disaster, an absolute disaster. Even the, even the left-wing media was saying that that was an absolute disaster. We have one of two things. Either they, the, there is voter fraud, but I, I'm, I really, I, I think that we, I think people are just really that dumb. I, I really, I really do. Cause the guy at, at this point, yeah, great. Great for Ron DeSantis down in Florida. I, I give him a lot of credit getting 20 percent above the Democrat. He turned Miami-Dade County Republican, but they have Pennsylvania locked up now. If, if you can run if you can run Fetterman, you're going to win. And by the way, Rod, he's not the only bum that's never worked. Bernie Sanders also never had a job in his life before he became the mayor of Burlington, Vermont. Never worked a day in his life. I, the guy was writing. Uh, I think he was writing like graphic uh, newspaper articles. If if I if I'm not mistaken, so he's not the first one. That, but yes, he is a tr- he's a trust fund um, kid or 50 year old man now. But he he's not the first bum to 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 make it to the Senate because Bernie has. But don't you think that that in the next two years, Fetterman will be an embarrassment for the Democrats? And something that hurts them in 2024? No, I, do, I, I don't. I, I, I thought that it was crazy that they were running him. So either they knew that he was going to win because, or they just knew that the people were just too dumb. Because what I do think is going to happen is, again, they elected a governor. What, what they, the governor they elected, was the, wasn't he the district attorney or the attorney general of the state? Shapiro? The district 
Yeah, was it wasn't he the uh, attorney general for the state of Pennsylvania? Yeah. Yeah, Rod. What What do you think about Shapiro winning the governorship? Um, that's Jake's Tapper's little buddy. They went to the same school over there uh, in Montgomery County, right 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 outside the city uh, the city limits of Philadelphia. And um, he's the Clintons' pick. He's he's always been right there, the Clintons. So um, yeah, I, I don't think Master. Uh, you know, I thought Masterino had a chance because Shapiro was, you know, connected to the Clintons and just didn't really do much. He attacked the Catholic Church and priest and things like that. But he promoted these these books with pornograph in them and all that. I mean, he's openly said all these things. And I thought people would have uh, said no, but here we are. He failed up. So. So, Al Keller, we got to go because our guest is online. But great call, as usual. Keller of Owls, great job. We got to take a short break. When we come back, Nabozha Mouch, and we'll be talking about the Russian retreat from Kursan. I would say a planned, organized retreat. But we'll talk Nabozha about it after this on The Backstory. Backstory, and we're on the radio on 105.5 FM, AM 1390 in Washington, D.C. Joining us now, Novosha Malich, writer. Hey, Novosha, how are you doing? Hey, Liam, good. How are you? Good to be here with you. I'm pretty good. So let's talk about this. I don't want to make excuses for this or downplay it, but I don't think this is as bad as certainly the Western media is making it out to be. I did not take this as Russia tucking its tail between its legs and running. I, I view this as a very controlled and planned operation. And in fact, the way it was announced, you had General Sorvegan and Sergei Shoigu talking about it. They did like a conversation. How was the Kursan pull out announced to Russian people. Can you talk about that a little bit, Novosha? Um, sure. I mean, the thing is that the, the, the withdrawal has basically been already effected. Um, the, um, there was a radio silence, like a total radio silence um, on that entire section of the front for the past 10 days or so. Um, I have a friend who's actually in uh, Donetsk right now, and he's he said that he hasn't been able to reach Kherson at all, and um, that it was a really strange blackout on information. Apparently, Survikin himself had said, and I just looked it up, um, when he assumed command in early, in like mid-October, that there might be some tough decisions, difficult decisions, he said, um, ahead. And um, this was right after um, the Russian forces actually withdrew from the northern portion of the Kherson salient after um, a Ukrainian mechanized breakthrough. So everybody was basically more or less expecting this to happen. Um, now, the, the wrinkle in this, obviously, is that Kherson is um, officially Russian territory, according to these these um, referenda that took place in September. So um, the military is you know, conducting a tactical retreat from territory that Russia claims as its own. And, um, you know, you already have Western media declaring a glorious Ukrainian victory. 
But the Ukrainians themselves are very being super, super cautious about this. They're basically saying, oh, you know, don't mind the media. We will declare victory when we're good and ready. And you have French intelligence saying, you know, we don't believe this. It's a trap. You've got Ukrainian military channels and sources going, yeah, we don't believe this. It's a trap. But the Russians have basically been trumpeting their retreat for the past week or so by saying, you know, publishing maps of these, you know, defense lines on the southern bank of the Dnieper to the point where uh, this is the the worst kept surprise in the world at this point. And right. you know, who announces a military withdrawal on, on public television? Well, Suravikin, but only after it's already been carried out. Right. As you pointed out, th this had already been put into place because the citizens, they've been evacuating people from the region. And what they gave as a reason, as I understand it, was that basically the missile attacks from Ukraine on the dam have continued. What do they say about the possibility of civilians getting killed by flooding from the missile attack? Right, right. and that was that was the officially cited concern, which I believe is legitimate, uh, for evacuating something like 115,000 civilians. Um, basically, the, the Russian government said all the civilians have been evacuated from Kherson and points north. Um, the, the concern was that the Ukrainian artillery has been hitting the Kahovka Dam, and um, if that dam is breached and the water is uncontrollably released, um, everything downstream would be flooded um, catastrophically, immediately with massive casualties. And so they were not to mention that the you know entire arm, army grouping situated there would be cut off and left to basically be destroyed in detail, which is another reason that's been officially given for this redeployment. Um, would the Ukrainians blow the dam? Yes, they've actually blown the dam on a river um, uh, on Siversky Donets a few months back uh, during the during the fighting um, at Belogorovka and the the Russian advance towards Slavyansk. Um, so they're capable of this, and they certainly would be prepared to do that. So the the concern seems legitimate, and they have been repeatedly the Ukrainians have been repeatedly shelling the uh, Kahovka power plant. <clears throat> in order to disrupt electricity supplies. So again, these these are all legitimate military concerns. Um, on the other side, it obviously in the media, which is the only front that the Ukrainians and their Western backers care for, this looks bad for Russia because as, as I said, it's abandoning territory it claimed as its sovereign um, land after the referendum. So, you know, that's, that's the other side of the medal. Well, so let's talk about the idea that this could be a trap by Russia, because Russia, I'm no military guy, but I understand that Russia does these moves all the time where they do a feint, where they appear to back off. And then when the enemy moves into that place, then Russia attacks them. Is that what, what the Ukrainians are worried about here? It's definitely something they're worried about. This is this has happened repeatedly during World War II. I mean, the, the German double envelopment at Stalingrad is obviously the biggest one, but there's been several such operations afterwards. And, um, you know, the, the, the nature, the geography of the terrain sort of favors this type of mobile warfare. I mean, Ukrainians themselves have tried this, um, you know, strikes and developments and every time so far, even though they've 
forced Russians to withdraw from several places like Izum and Balaklaya in the Kharkov region, they failed to actually achieve their military objective, which was to encircle and destroy uh, the Russian forces. None of this has happened. So every time the Russians, um, you know, tactically withdraw, there's there's this talk about, oh, it could be a trap because it's a tactic, you know, known from antiquity. Uh, so far, we've seen we've seen Ukrainian forces, and this is going into tactical minutiae. I don't know if 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 our uh, um, listeners would care, but so far we've repeatedly seen the Russian forces do this. They would they would uh, leave um, a position that the Ukrainians expect them to defend, and then basically pour artillery and missile fire onto the Ukrainians, so that the cost in lives and equipment is just catastrophic. Now. Kiev has had men and equipment. They've been mobilizing since March. You know, people are talking about the Russian mobilization of, you know, some 300,000 people. The Ukrainians have mobilized more than 600,000 and have just recently called up, um, you know, up to people up to 60 years old. They're they're literally mobilizing grandfathers and and teenagers. Um, and they've just been throwing men at the, at the problem from their perspective. Um, and you know, their own military capability has pretty much been wiped out and they're entirely dependent on NATO for supplies. So at this point, um, you know, the, the Russians from the chatter I've been seeing were expecting their, their military to go on the offensive rather than retreat. So this is definitely a surprise um, to the general public. I don't know what Surovikin has up his sleeve, um, but I, I, the Ukrainian, it doesn't matter what I think or believe what the Ukrainians think is that there's some kind of trap waiting for them. And they're, they're being very cautious as a result. Um, now, I would dare predict in terms of the Russian public, because Western media obviously is not going to be, if, you know, if Shoigu won the Powerball jackpot, the Western media would make it out to be bad. But, uh, do you think that the way that Shoigu and Sorvegan announced this to the Russian public was a good PR move as far as the Russian people go? And the Russian military doesn't really do PR. Um, it's, um, I, I think the, the media commentators that are, that are commenting on the decision are definitely making their case for them, which is, I think, how the distribution of things, of duties works over there. Um, I, I the the military basically said you know we'll we'll save lives and we'll save troops and we'll do this and that and the other. There's definitely you know armchair generals going well you know why aren't we in Kiev yet? And then there's other people saying look you know this is war these things happen. Um, we're we're hopeful that you know we'll end up advancing. Um, obviously you know nothing succeeds like success and there's no substitute for victory. So if they you know if they want to keep pursuing this war to whichever objective they've set, um, withdrawing isn't going to work. But, um, you know, I, I expect some kind of, um, you know, I, I expect the Ukrainians will try to make hay out of it in the next couple of days, posting videos of, you know, triumphantly liberating towns and villages that have been abandoned. Um, but this is go mostly going to be aimed at their Western backers. The problem with the Western backers is that they're getting tired of the, of the war and, and they desperately need some kind of armistice to, to chalk up as a victory because their economies are suffering more than they anticipated, whereas the Russians don't seem that perturbed. Now, I would say one PR move that we can absolutely expect, and I haven't, I haven't seen this yet, but Ukraine is going to claim 
that they found people were being executed in Kherson. And they're going to show pictures of bodies. And they're going to say, Russia killed them. And that's their move every time Russia leaves an area. And let me play a clip for you, because we had the U.S. U.N. representative talk about war crimes trials. Let's get that clip ready. Nabosha, have a listen to this and see what you think of this. Hit it. Vital part of this country's export, vital for people's food supply around the world. Do you believe that it will be, uh, the deal will be renewed mid-November? And what do you make of Putin, that he came back into the deal after threatening to exited? Well, I'm hoping that the deal will will be extended. I know that extraordinary efforts are being made by the Secretary General and others to negotiate an extension of this deal. The fact that Putin pulled out of the deal temporarily shows he has no concern about the impact that this is having around the world. Uh, He sent shocks around the world when he did this. He got tremendous pressure from everyone. And he came back into he he had no choice but to come back in into the deal. But again, I think it shows that uh, he he has uh, he really does not care about the people his unprovoked war is impacting. And yet just on that, this is one of the rare areas of cooperation in this vicious war. And also prisoner exchange is a rare area of cooperation. People maybe don't focus on that so much. Does that give you any hope or grounds for an ability to discuss with them when you're in the Security Council on the bigger issue? I think what we've seen in the Security Council by the Russians is the total lack of sensitivity, a total lack of cooperation. Uh, They have used the Security Council to push forward their negative and uh, narrative, their misinformation, uh, their attacks on on the people of Ukraine. Uh, We have used the Council to isolate them, to condemn them, and and taken it as well to the General Assembly, where they have been roundly condemned. Now, so what do you think, Nabosha? Have the Russians shown a lack of sensitivity with the oh-so-sensitive U.S. and Ukraine? I mean, this yeah. speaks cynicism again. Uh, you, I mean, here's a representative of a country that has that has shown absolute disregard to, for civilian lives in every single so-called humanitarian intervention over the past 30 years, talking about Russia, which has shown great concern for civilians to the point where— uh, you, you've you've got Russian artillery refusing to bomb military targets because there are civilians present in Ukrainian towns. I mean, this, this is this is just out there. I think one of the reasons that Kherson has been thoroughly evacuated, the reason that 115,000 civilians have been pulled back, is because Russia knows that every time their troops leave an area, be it this spring um, near Kiev or this fall near Kharkov. Um, the the troops loyal to the Ukrainian army, whether it's regulars or with these Nazi battalions, they go in, they massacre people whom they suspect of being traitors. They boast about it. And then they Photoshop these things to to and claim their Russian atrocities. And then people like Thomas Greenfield, uh, without a shred of decency or or shame, present this to the Security Council as gospel truth. And it's just it's just disgraceful. 
So, you know, this is this is just the whole thing. Her whole statement to CNN's chief propagandist in that clip was just pure rationalization and cope. It's just narrative management. There's not a single ounce of factual information in there, which, again, diplomats in the West in particular are literally paid to lie for their country. So I don't necessarily, you know, think any less of her for that. But have some have some shame, for God's sake. So we call it the empire lies for a reason. Let's talk about sensitive people. The Germans, the Germans are known for their sensitivity. And they're also censoring their own people. Let's play that clip. G Germans disappearing people. Hit it. Slip. She is the mother of Alina Lip, a journalist whom the German government is trying to imprison due to her reporting in Donbass. Like her daughter, she has fled Germany to Crimea due to persecution. The government recently arbitrarily closed her bank account. First her bank account, then her father's bank account, and then last mine. mine. So, yeah. What does that do, closing down your bank account? <laughs> What does it, you, you must imagine, you can't buy your food anymore, you can't pay your rent, you can't pay your insurance, you can pay nothing from one moment to the other. So, what to do? The German, there was no legal decision over this, there was no court case, they just didn't even tell you, they just shut it down. No, they, they didn't tell me. No, no, nothing. And how did you survive? <laughs> yeah. I'm a creative person. I, I, I had some money, of course. Um, I'm lucky, uh, some cash. And uh, they told me I can go to the church and to, to tell my story. So the state told you that? The state told you go to the church? No, my bank, my bank uh, officer told me that. <laughs> because I asked him, what shall I do now? And he told me, oh, maybe you can go to the church. <laughs> The German government is still attempting to imprison Alina Lip for her work in Donbass. Now, I've seen the court documents, and the reasons they give are that Alina has reported that Ukraine has been killing its own people in Donbass for eight years, and that the majority of people there support Russia. Now, these are two undeniable facts. Perhaps the most worrying aspect of this case is that her court order effectively criminalizes honest reporting in Ukraine. Uh, because if you're a journalist, mainstream or otherwise, or a political figure, and you want to point out these two very important facts, you risk going to jail, raising questions about Germany's ability to make sensible policies on Ukraine. As they see the alien uh, as an enemy of their narrative, our um, message as a threat they want to make. Senator Bosha, what do you think about Germany's war on truth? What's your comments on that? You know, my, my family's been on the receiving end of German humanitarianism twice and no, three times in the 20th century. And, and I'm, a, I'm a little biased in this regard against Herr Schulz and his enforcers. But this is this is I mean, this is just completely beyond the pale, even for um, even for Germans, because uh, here's the thing. The whole argument, the whole moral argument made by leaders of the West, starting with the American administration, and everybody else who follows their lead, because let's face it, Germany's not sovereign. It, it does what it's told. And the people telling it what to do are saying, well, you know, we stand for democracy and, and human rights, and 
Western progressive values. Well, which values are these? You know, is it freedom of speech? Clearly not. Um, is it is it sanctity of private property? Clearly not. Is it freedom of the press? Clearly not. Is it due process of the law? Clearly not. I mean, you could probably go through the entire Bill of Rights of the U.S. Constitution and find it completely violated by every one of these actions. And people will say, well, it's Germans. Okay, fine. But the Germans are supposed to be America's allies. They're supposed they're still military occupied. There's still a U.S. military occupation of Germany, technically speaking. Um, you know, they're supposed to uphold these these progressive Western values, this rules based world order. Well, what rules exactly are they upholding? But no, nobody's going to nobody's going to ask this because, unfortunately, the population in the West has been thoroughly zombified into not caring about these rights and liberties because they manifestly don't have them anymore. I mean, we've seen what happened in Canada when people protesting against COVID restrictions ended up having their bank bank, bank accounts seized without any sort of court order. In fact, sanctions these these bans on you know citizens dealing with foreign governments are totally devoid of any sort of judicial process but nobody seems to nobody seems to care and of course you mentioned canada and that seizing of bank accounts was announced by christina freeland the vice prime minister of canada and the new york times recently reported she's the us pick to head nato up uh, the granddaughter of a nazi collaborator so Nabosha, great report as usual. I know you're gonna go. Thanks about where can people find your latest writing, Nabosha Malich? Um, I'm on Twitter at, at Nabosha Malich and on Telegram as The Nebulator. Nabosha, thanks so much. Great report. Thanks for having me. Thanks very much. Okay, so let's go to a short break and when we come back, a little more election talk on the backstory. Backstory. And thanks again, Nabosha Malsh, a great guest. And he explained, What did you think of that, Rod? Do you feel like you understand the situation in Kursan a little better? Yeah, no, definitely. He reminded us that um, Sojin, I believe the guy, the general, uh, his name is, he said he was going to have to make tough decisions. And if this is one of them, you know, then it was, you know, something he already uh, spoke to. So I think it was great to remind us of that. And of course, no one in the Western media is going to say, Russia once again shows their commitment to lives over property. Because I would say that is what it is. They've gotten people out of Kherson, but they've left this, the, you, you know, they can't pack up the, the buildings. So they prioritize human life over property. That's why I see it. What do you say, Rod? Yeah, I would agree with that. And also, like you said, um, you know, it's just it's just it's just a giant bluff to draw in more troops, uh, Ukraine and NATO troops, and you know, U.S. contractors they sent over there. Um, you know, so let's just wait and see, and let's see what happens. So let's talk about Twitter for a second. I think people fail to grasp being. It's one thing to pretend you're in charge of Twitter. It's another thing to be in charge of Twitter. And I'll give an example. The comedian Kathy Griffin, remember when she held up the head of Donald Trump 
It was a doll. But re remember that famous incident on Twitter, her holding up the bloody head of Donald Trump? Remember that, Rod? Yeah, I remember that. Now, so d pretend you're in charge of Twitter for a second. Do you think that should be allowed? And if you, if you say that's okay, what if it's not Kathy Griffith? What if it's a 17-year-old kid in Ohio, somebody you've never heard of? Should they be allowed to hold up the bloody head of Donald Trump in effigy? What do you think, Rod? Um, I would allow it. Yeah, I would. I would allow, even though it's bad taste, but I would allow it. So, so I, I think it, I think it's, it goes along with free speech. I, I didn't. She didn't say that she wants uh, people to go kill him. I think it was just a picture. I don't think there was any uh, any comment along with it. But um, so I would I would allow it. So, but if that seventeen-year-old, in theory, that I mentioned, I made up, if he went on a shooting rampage and he shot at Republicans, every Republican in the world would say, "You let him hold up a bloody head, and you didn't do anything about that." So that's okay. But then when he shoots people, you see what I'm saying? Yeah, no, I, I, I see exactly what you're saying. It's a, it's a thin line, Lee. Um, and it's definitely a thin line because there was no action. It was just a picture, but um, so, yeah. And and no one's going to say, I'll put it like this. The nuance is going to completely go out the window if the, if the person commits violence. Kathy Griffith is not likely to go on a shooting rampage. But that's why I say, if it's not her, if you go, well, it's comedy, not funny, but comedy. But you know, Snoop Dogg. Snoop Dogg did a music video. I think it was right before Kathy Griffin, where at the end of the video, it's him pointing a gun at Donald Trump's head, pulls the trigger, and I think it, you know, it's one of those like clown guns where it says "bang" at the end. It, you know, shoots out a a little a little uh, note that says "bang." So you know, it, you know, before Kathy Griffin, it was Snoop Dogg. And also, let me point out, if we're critical of Twitter for not having a board. Uh, and I don't know anything about the board, so I have to actually look into that because there could be. But Donald Trump on his site, True Social, does not have any board that I'm aware of. What are True Social's policies on speech? I I'm sure I know one of them. If you say good stuff about Trump, they're not going to get mad at you at True Social. Does it make sense, Rod? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, definitely for sure. I don't think they have a board uh, to monitor that stuff. That that's my opinion. Do they have a policy? And what is it? It's a good question, Lee. I don't know. I don't know what their policy is. I'm I'm not on True Social. I don't see myself being on True Social because I don't know too many people that's on it. So you know, it's just an echo chamber to me. So I've talked about it before. I think one of Trump's problems is he's a profoundly selfish person. He's focused. Do you know what I mean by that? He's focused on Trump above all else. And I think that means if Elon Musk did everything perfect tomorrow, he would not talk that much about Elon Musk. He's already made fun of him. And notice he made fun of Elon for his name. He was kind of taunting the bullying way Trump does. He was going, well, Elon, you know, say makes fun of his name, Rod, have you, you heard that? Uh, yeah, yeah. He, I mean, he tries to be a funny guy at all times, Lee. He tries to be a fun. But just to, to go along with how selfish he is, uh, Kanye proved that in uh, when he was talking to Tucker, and he was talking about how when uh, Trump's 
was talking about how many black votes he was getting, and he he bragged about it to Kanye. He's like, oh, you know, my uh, my black my, <laughs> my black constituents went up by forty percent or something like that. And uh, Kanye called him out and said, you know, you, are we just uh, a number to you? Is that all you care about? Well, let's take a short break, and we got more to talk about this stuff after this break on the backstory. Story, bringing you a second hour of the show that brings you the truth behind the headlines. I'm Lee Stranahan, and this is Backstory. We want to thank Nabosha Malsh for being with us again in the first hour. And this hour, we have former congressional candidate Darius Mayfield on the and your calls on Backstory. Now, Rod, we've got a lot of clips today, so let's get to a couple more of them. Talking about Ukraine and Russia, the U.S. is sending more air defense systems to Ukraine to help them in the fight against Russia. But that's not the big thing. Mostly, forget air defense, because they now have, Ukraine now has an Oscar. That's thanks to Sean Penn. Sean Penn gave his Oscar to Zelensky. And I think that's more fitting than Sean Penn may realize. Hit it. This is for you. Oh, Sean, yes. No, please. It that is yours. No, I, I feel terrible outside. I just, it's just a symbolic, silly thing. Yes, but, but I, if but I know, but if I know this is here with you, then I'll, then I'll feel better and stronger to, for the fight. So great, great honor, but, yeah. but until we win. When you, when you win, bring it back to Malibu. Right. Yes. Right. Okay. Because I'll feel okay. much better knowing there's a piece of me here. We have to be. Now, I would say it's moves like that, Sean Penn giving him his Oscar, that actually turned a lot of Republicans against Ukraine. They hate a lot of Do you think I'm right, Rod? Oh, yeah, 100%. Lee. I mean, this is just one big Hollywood act. And like you said, it's fitting for him to say, you know, I'm giving you this Oscar and, uh, you know, bring it back to Malibu because we, we've already heard rumors that he has millions of dollars and I think a home a mansion in, uh, or a condo in uh, South Florida waiting for him. We're talking about Zelensky. So, yeah. And by the way, that may not be so comfortable because you, do you see how Miami-Dade County did in the elections last night? Yeah, you're right. You're right about that. Uh, it might not, might not be a safe space. So maybe that's why Sean Penn was like, no, bring it to Malibu. You're not, you're not, you're not going to be safe in Florida. Right. And, and uh, so let's go to another clip here. Now, CNN is all over the truth by all over opposing it. So let's, CNN gave advice for people. If you want to get info, don't go to social media. Go to CNN. Let's play that clip. Hit it. Keeping an eye on that one. That's good. But you see, that's our first votes. And that's the wonder of democracy, whether you're a Democrat or Republican. And I wanted to point that out to be a little bit of the crank in the room following Brianna there. 
Stay off social media, people. If you're trying to figure out, if you're trying to figure out, are there really issues with votings? Trust your local officials. Trust us here. Trust a news source that you know and trust to be honest about this. They're doing their jobs and they're doing it right. So if you're going to say trust a news source, you know, to be right, that's RT and Sputnik, not CNN. That's a little self-serving of him. But we don't exist. So would you agree that CNN is not a news source you trust, Rod? Yeah, no, I agree with that, Lee. This just this just reminds me of uh, Chris Cuomo telling telling people it was illegal to read WikiLeaks, and you need to you need to watch CNN if you want to know what's on WikiLeaks. It's, it's just the same thing. It's just like you know, you know, six years later now, don't don't trust social media. Trust us. Now, meanwhile, let's hear CNN on the Arizona voting machines next, because they're a news source we can trust. So I'm sure this is trustworthy. Hit it. they there? What do they care about? This comes as officials have been fighting misinformation and conspiracy conspiracy theories all day. Donny O'Sullivan has been following this story, joins us now. So, Donny, you know, look, you, you hope these things don't break out into the mainstream mm-hmm. and, and that they can, you know, nip this in the bud, get the answers people need, the transparency. Uh, but what can you tell us about one of these cases of misinformation you've been focused on? Yeah, so very similar to 2020 election, where we're seeing videos of, you know, issues are going to arise at the polls. There's tens of thousands of cities, townships, counties, polling locations across the country. Uh, We have video, as you can see there, from uh, this morning uh, in Maricopa County in Arizona, which, of course, was a kind of ground zero of election conspiracy theories uh, in in 2020. a poll worker there explaining that there's an issue with a tabulation machine. So after people go vote, they can put their vote into the tabulation machine. It wasn't reading some ballots uh, this morning, but you were able to put your vote into a secure box next to the machine and it would be brought to be counted tonight. Um, an issue that was all resolved, uh, but now across social media, that video of that has been viewed more than three million times, but it's being shared in the context as though this is evidence that fraud is happening in Maricopa County in Arizona. That is simply not the case. Listen to these election officials. So got that, Rod? Trust the officials. Yeah, don't trust your own eyes, Lee. You know what I mean? If you show up and the voting machine's not working, just turn on CNN. They'll tell you the truth. I mean, how silly, right. how, crazy, how crazy is that? Yes. And it's why people don't trust CNN, because CNN broadcasts stuff like that. Just trust people is not a system. But another detective is on the case of what causes political violence. AOC has figured it out. And the cause of political violence is Tucker Carlson. That's what AOC's found. So let's hit AOC talking about the cause of political violence. AOC, hit it. There is a major media outlet, there is a major news channel that is fueling political violence in this country, and we're acting like it's normal. It's not normal. Like, I can tell you 110%, one of the largest sources of death threats that I get is Tucker Carlson. Wow. Every time that dude puts my name in his mouth the next day. I mean, this is like what stochastic terrorism is. It's like this indirect. It's like when you have, when you use a very large platform to turn up the temperature and target an individual until something happens. And then when something happens because it's indirect, you say, oh, I had nothing to do with that. Right. 
Tucker Carlson, mm-hmm. God forbid anything happens, he plays a massive role in political violence. Like, it comes on his doorstep, specifically. Now, have you ever heard Tucker call for political violence, Sherrod? Not one time, Lee. She couldn't. Or any violence. Yeah, not one time, and she couldn't point to anything. She's just saying a broad statement. She's just blaming. She's just blaming him for something. That's like, uh, you know, blaming Trump for it's raining outside or something. She's she's mad because people don't like her, and people didn't like Trump, and people didn't like Republicans in general, and that's why you had someone shooting at Republicans down Alexandria, Steve Scalise, and so on. Now, what did Tucker gin that up? Is that a mystery, AOC? And just take some responsibility for your own words. People don't like you because of your policies, but no one wants you killed. Tucker doesn't want AOC killed, nor do I. I oppose political violence, but, you know, lots of politicians get attacked. Rand Paul, who won last night, Rand Paul, Remember he was beat by a neighbor and ribs were broken? Who who caused that, Rod? Who who caused it? Mm, I would say the rhetoric on, on stations like the one she was on. She was on The Breakfast Club, uh, MSNBC, CNN. I would say they have some culpability. I'm not saying it's their fault, but they have some culpability. Um, so, I mean, they even bragged about uh, the fact that Rand Paul got beat up. They were laughing about it on shows like MSNBC, so... Right. Yeah, they were, were. We, I think we've played the clip before. They were literally laughing about it. Uncontained mirth. Remember that? Yeah, exactly, Lee. And then you know, when, you, when we see uh, Joe Biden fall up the stairs uh, like three or four times, going up the flight of stairs to the uh, Air Force One, you know, if you laugh at it, you know, you're 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 uh, you're being violently by laughing at that. Yeah, apparently, but I'm not enableist. So uh, I think we got most of the clips down. Let me just look. Am I missing any big ones, Rod, you you think of? Uh, Big ones, no. We had one more from the U.N. ambassador, uh, the the wartime tribunal that's going to happen in Ukraine. So, okay, let's let's play that, Uh, the clip about the war crimes tribunals. This is was that that that's a different one than we heard before. With Christian and poor, it's it's the same interview. It was just a, a different clip. It was you know it was a long fifteen minutes. I just split it up. That's why with the uh, okay, Linda, yeah, Linda Thomas Green. I think her name is the UN ambassador. Okay, let's hit that. False narrative. You're also visiting a forensic laboratory, a forensic um, location today regarding war crimes and accountability. I want to know what you think and where you think that is. Plus, I spoke to two senior senators who were on a CODEL visit just last week who actually said that they wanted to take to the ICC, which is the UN-mandated war crimes tribunal, the idea of a separate special tribunal for Ukraine. Is that something that the U.S. supports, that the U.N. supports? Well, right now, I'm here to see the efforts to document evidence of war crimes. And there are a number of entities, the ICC, the ICJ, other entities and investigations taking place within the UN, including the Justice uh, 
department here, the prosecutor's office here, who are all investigating war crimes and gathering the, the data. So we're looking at ensuring that we support their efforts to gather the data so that when it goes before whatever uh, investigation or tribunal, they actually have the evidence in hand uh, to, to prosecute. You know, I, I was around for the Bosnia War and the special tribunals for Bosnia, uh, Yugoslavia, Rwanda. Do you think a special tribunal is needed? Or as the ICC says, we have what it takes. We have the prosecutor, we have the people, we have the resources. At this moment, I do think that the resources are there. But as we get into more of uh, the documentation, those determinations can be made later. But right now, there are organizations and institutions. The ICC can do it. The ICJ can uh, do it. The Prosecutor's Office of Ukraine, uh, they're all available to do the investigations that are necessary. Uh, I heard today that there are more than 60,000 cases uh, that uh, have been put forward. There may be many, many more. We don't know what this is going to lead to. So... We do actually know what it's going to lead to, a bunch of BS, because if you were trying to do a proper work on tribunal, you would actually look into Ukraine, where there are clear war crimes violations for eight or nine years. Right, Rod? 100% Lee, uh, 100%. And this this lady, Linda, uh, and they, they have a specific name for her. She's a Star Wars character on social media that uh, I've been seeing. And, you know, people will call it racist, but I call it funny. You know, I come from that Ronda Dangerfield type of comedy. So, um, you know, she just went on there just lying. I mean, I, I watched it. Those are the two clips I grabbed that were, you know, we could bear to listen to. And this is, this is just her and Christina Amapur just lying back and forth one to another that just rushes the worst thing to ever – uh, Russians and the country of Russia to ever come touch Earth, you know what I mean? So let me point out that war crimes actually do not matter to the U.S. This goes back, this is not new. This is not on Biden. This is the system Biden inherited. This is the empire of lies system. Because Mikola Lebed was a war criminal in World War II when we actually had war criminals, Nazi collaborator. And I say, we do not care about war criminals because we brought Labed over to this country. And in Operation Paperclip and Operation Aerodynamic, the US has no problem historically working with war criminals. Have you noticed that, Rod? Oh yeah, 100% Lee, they, they, they don't have any problem. They, they enjoy it actually, I would say. The guys like Alan Dulles undoubtedly enjoyed it. And so the U.S. doesn't care about war criminal is something they call people they don't like, proof or not. So I would say that if there's a war crimes trial, it's going to be as big a kangaroo court as the January 6th trial. And anyone who's watched that in terms of what did they do in the January 6th hearings? What they did was they packed the prosecution. They didn't have one Republican who asked tough questions. The only Republican they had was Liz Cheney, basically, and, and Kinzinger. So what they do is they stack the 
the system against finding what they don't want to find. So I would say if we have a war crimes trial, it will be just as fair as January 6th. Is that cynical, Rod, or is it, you know, realistic? No, I, I, I agree with you on that lately. And throughout that whole 10 minute interview with Christina Amapur and, and this woman, Linda, the UN ambassador, they kept saying the narrative, Russia's narrative, Russia's narrative. What they were, what they were dancing around was the denazification of Ukraine in the, eight, the last eight, which is now nine years that Ukraine's been attacking its own people in the East. And they just don't want to talk about it. So they just say the word narrative. Right. And I'm fine with if people want to put that narrative up against the U.S. narrative on the basis of factual and the basis of recognized facts. A lot of the stuff you can find in the CIA archives and everything I said about Operation Paperclip and Operation Aerodynamic and the U.S. supporting war criminals is in the CIA's own files. Go online. Just type in CIA FOIA, F-O-I-A, CIA, and you'll be able to find a searchable database of CIA info. And everything I said is easily proven. Right, Rod? Oh, yeah, for sure, Lee. You know, uh, it's just it's just so crazy and mind-boggling to anybody who finds this out. And, you know, we're, obviously we've had uh, – couple people interrupted like Obama, Elizabeth Warren, you know, if you're one of those uh, mindless drones and they're supporting people like that and you keep hearing we're supporting Nazis, at least one or two, maybe a couple more people are going to go home and be like, well, you know, what's up with these people saying we're supporting Nazis? And they're going to, you know, they're going to look into it and either they're going to change their mind or they're going to double down. Now, let me talk about the election. I think one problem that happened here was Republicans spent too much time whining about early voting, complaining about it, and not enough time figuring out. I saw Nigel Farage make a statement on Twitter last night. He was like, early voting has changed American politics forever. Did you see, did you see Nigel say that? No, I, I don't follow Nigel, so I didn't, I didn't see that. So it just happened to go by on Twitter. But do you agree with what Nigel said that early voting has changed U.S. politics? Um, maybe to a, a certain extent, but I think more than anything would be the mail-in ballots. I think that is that is one of the most uh, egregious, egregious things out there because put your you know you put your ballot in a mailbox and you never get to see it again. You know, uh, and I, I view that as I'm I'm including that when I say early voting, I include mail-in ballots. I agree with okay. you. Okay. Oh, okay. Uh, then yeah, then yeah. The mail-in ballot, um, the mail-in ballot port portion that started in 2020 in multiple states that didn't have it. Yeah, I would say that. But the early voting, a uh, little shaky on that one. Now, so all the early voting methods, including mail-in ballots, Republicans need to realize. I don't think that's going away. Once they got it in place, I don't see anything. So if it goes away, great. But if not. The reality is Republicans need to figure out how to get their voters to vote that way. Does that make sense, Rod? Yeah, I would agree. Um, in Philly, there was cameras watching. Uh, th this is not the mail-in ballot, but the polling stations, and they were caught, and they were. Uh, I think they weren't uh, allowed to have any cameras in there. But I think you should. People should stand in front of those uh, those mail-in ballot boxes, record them, and you know see who picks them up. 
and follow that route. I mean, let, let's see the chain of custody. Um, and, you know, I think Republicans should be pushing that and, uh, you know, fighting for that. Now, hopefully, and, you know, I think you are right. I don't think it is going to go away. I think simplistic people think it's better, you know, like, well, I just put my, you know, I just put this ballot in a mailbox and then boom, I voted. So if I'm going to try to put a positive spin on this, I would say, first off, the GOP, it seems, did win the House. It's not established for sure, but they did win the House and may win the Senate. But I actually think the House is a bigger deal here. Do you agree, Rod? Yeah, because they can do investigation. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yes, so you know, definitely. And uh, Lee, I just wanted to bring up one thing, uh, and I want to get your thought on it. Uh, Michael Tracy was uh, talking about that uh, Ukraine funding and how Republicans were campaigning on ending funding for Ukraine. And he was saying that they were just saying that for uh, political purposes and that a, a lot of these candidates uh, admitted that they didn't, you know, they were just they were just saying that to get votes. It's people like J.D. Vance. So, you know, I didn't hear him say that. I'm just saying that to get votes. That would imply that he doesn't actually, that he really wants to fund Ukraine. And I think a lot of politicians have realized that putting billions of dollars into Ukraine, multi-billions of dollars. Well, he, he said, oh, that was, I'm sorry, let me correct. He said the blank check part. He just said the blank check. So he was pretty much saying, not giving a blank check anymore, the billions. So he's not saying that he doesn't want to fund them. He's just saying the blank check. I'm just, I'm quoting it. And I do think that's over. I, I you know, for one reason, the U.S. is running out of money. It's, you know, they, they already don't have it. But it's getting to a point where they can't print that much more because inflation will spike. Does that make sense? Right, yeah, right. And so I don't think the Biden administration is going to ask for as much money. I don't think you're going to see another $40 billion tranche of money. Does that make sense? I don't think Joe Biden will propose that. You might see $10 billion here or $5 billion there, smaller amounts. But I think that's the way it's going to play out. What say you, Rod? Yeah, we just saw 400 million this week. So I, yeah, um, you know, unfortunately, I guess you're right, Lee. They're, they're just going to do uh, bits and pieces. You know, 400 million, 500 million, another 100 million here and there. Right. You know, they won't propose it. But a 40 billion dollar tranche of money, like they've suggested before, I don't think anyone's doing that. And by the way, that also applies to the UK because they have big financial problems over there. So I think the unlimited amounts of money. And the problem is Zelensky still needs money. Zelensky, because the Ukrainian economy is so bad. You, you, let me say this too about the dishonest media. I saw a report today that said, and 40% of the Ukrainian power grid is out. I don't buy it for a second. They've been saying 40%, the, the Ukrainians themselves admitted that 40% of the power grid was out about two weeks ago. Remember that, Rod? Yeah, no, I, I, don't, I don't know what to believe on that, Lee, so I'll, you know, I'll have to defer to you on this. Well, let's go with, let's just go with common sense. Ukraine said two weeks ago, that 40% of the grid is out, right? That was two weeks ago. And we know that Russia 
has not stopped missile attacks on the power grid, right? They didn't stop doing that. So if 40% was out two weeks ago, two weeks later, I would say the answer of how much is out is more than 40%. I don't have a number. I'm not saying 60% or 70%, but I'm saying, you know, 50% at least. Do you see what I'm saying? The simple math here, common sense yes. tells us. Yeah, no, I, like you said, you know, I'd seen the 40% twice. So, you know, my mind was just like, you know, are they repairing it? And then it's getting struck again and it keeps staying at 40%. But, you know, I, I, what you're saying makes total sense. They've just been just been lying like they, you know, like they keep lying about a lot of things in, in Ukraine. Right. And Kiev is I think they had a big power outage last night and the whole city was without power. But I don't have details on that. So I could be mistaken there. But I know there's some kind of big power outage across Ukraine. And those those continue. So the important thing, the reason I bring it up is that it's all affecting, obviously, the economy of Ukraine. So Ukraine needs money. It needs billions, not just for the military spending, but to keep the economy running. We are keeping the economy going. We're the only thing that's keeping the economy going in Ukraine. So what do you think of that, Rod? Yeah, we've had multiple guests talk about that, that, you know, us, the UK and uh, other governments around the world have been propping up Ukraine. And uh, yeah, without it, they would they would definitely be in the dark. So let's get to we have Darius Mayfield up next, former congressional candidate from New Jersey. Rod, take us out to the boom, will you? Listen to the best show on the radio, The Backstory. We are back on The Backstory and on the radio on 105.5 FM. AM 1390. We're joined now by Darius Mayfield. He's a former congressional candidate from New Jersey. And Rod, let me give you a heads up, by the way. I'm going to have, because I, I told Rod privately, we were talking the other day, what a great job Rod does. He's essentially the guest co-host on days like Wednesday. So you may have noticed on the video feed, I have a Rod graphic up in the video feed. Rod, get ready, because I'm gonna throw it to you if you have a question for Darius later, okay? Yeah, no problem. There we go. So, Rod from Philly does a great job as a producer. And welcome to Darius Mayfield. Darius, how you doing? I'm doing well, man. Thanks you guys for having me again. Always a good time with you guys. Well, great to have you. And by the way, I'm sorry about the, I'm sorry for your loss. Let me put it that way. So what's appropriate to say to a candidate who did not win? Is that appropriate, Darius? Well, in my case, the only thing should be congratulations, man, because we ran a hell of a campaign. I'm analyzing the numbers all day, all last night. We made some tremendous gains. It looks like I'm going to end up with the largest share of uh, Republicans got of the votes in the last 12 years and over a decade. 
uh, when it's said and done. So we made some really gains. I chopped some districts in half. Middlesex County went from a D plus 18 to a D plus 9 in just one cycle. So we did some great work, man, and uh, it's on and forward, and we're going to take this seat next time. Well, Darius, let me say I think you have exactly the right attitude. And remember, a lot of politicians lose their first time out. Have you noticed that? Lincoln, I think, lost like five times. And forget how it ended with Lincoln. Don't don't pay any attention to that. But in the middle, he got elected. So, uh, yeah. so Darius, I think you have the right, exactly the right attitude. And I think what happens is people have no idea who you are the first time you run. But the second time you run, they remember your name on the ballot the first time. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, I think you're exactly right. A lot of this comes down to name recognition, and Ronald Reagan lost his first couple of races as well, man. So this is how it goes. You know, we knew we were going to have to build up some name recognition, but the fact that I actually, you know, I just uh, was looking at the numbers before I was on this call before, and of all the uh, Republican candidates that lost in New Jersey, I actually had the biggest gains of any of them outside uh, the incumbents and Tom Keene, who actually won in his district. So I think you're absolutely right. It comes down to name recognition. Um, I'm glad we got 1,500 signs out there this time. The goal next time is 3,000 to 4,000. And now I think because we made so many gains in this election, we'll really be able to turn up the fundraising next time so we can get on TV more, get on the airwaves, and really increase our name recognition. And I'll tell you something else. In a leader, no one likes a quitter. No one likes someone who they, they run once, they don't win, and then that's it. They just go, okay, I give up. They like someone who's resilient. They like someone who believes in something, and that is you, Darius. So, so congratulations. I think you have exactly the right attitude, sir. Appreciate you, brother. And yeah, I'm not, I wouldn't play with my name or my reputation that way, man. As I said, when I first ran this race, I sacrificed a lot to do this and I was going to see it through. I ended up making tremendous gains in areas that Republicans don't usually go to, like Trenton, New Jersey and Plainfield, New Jersey. In fact, they're just finishing up the vote right now. And the turnout was pretty low um, comparatively in Trenton. And I think that had a lot to do with the way I ran my campaign. And I don't know if you guys know this, but uh, yesterday, I was actually the only county in New Jersey that the DOJ was in. They were in Middlesex County, my district, as well as uh, yesterday when we woke up, we found out that every single Dominion voting machine in Mercer County was out. So it was a, a quite tumultuous day in Mercer County where Trenton is. It's a very heavily Democratic district. So just imagine we uh, got the largest share right now, and that was uh, with all the voting machines going out. So what did we really do at, at the end of the day? We might have performed even better uh, than what it's showing right now. So I'm happy and I'm proud. Now, I'm sure if you if people have never been involved in a campaign, your focus, it takes up all your time. It's all you can think about, especially in the final weeks. Am I right? Oh, yeah, man. People were at my uh, election night party last night. Everybody just kept coming up to me and said, man, you look worn out. You look exhausted. It takes a lot out of you, man. Remember, I've been campaigning since last February, so almost two years now. Because as I said, I took this very, very seriously. But it's definitely an exhausting process. But again, based on what happened yesterday, even though we lost, I am more motivated than ever. And I have no doubt that this is our seat coming up and we will be taking this seat in the next few cycles.
Now, I'm sure you're tired, but I'm going to give you some pre-advice, which I guarantee you is worth exactly what you're going to pay for it. So my free advice is when you get, you know, rejuvenated a little bit, start something in the community so your name is out there and you're actively doing something in the community. So people keep your name in the papers and you're helping people and they, they go, Oh, what, th th there's Darius again. Does uh, that make sense, Darius? Yeah, well, it's funny you said that. We actually have a litany of things on the agenda already. We actually just found out uh, not too long ago that we're about to have a meeting soon to secure funding to actually shoot a documentary in places like Trenton, New Jersey, um, and some rural areas in places like Virginia and Texas about the school systems out there, which was my number one platform out here. So I've already alerted the people of Trenton. We're coming out there. I'm not leaving them. I have the food bank that I started doing things with in those urban areas. Uh, they know I'll be there in the next couple of weeks, so we're not going to stop any of this. I'm going to their cheer competition that they invited me to in Trenton in a couple of weeks. So, bro, I'm going to, if people thought that I worked hard this last cycle, wait until we get started. Like you just said, I'm going to take a little bit of a rest, maybe a week. I'm actually uh, flying out tomorrow for a couple of days. Then I'll be back and it's right back to work. So, yeah, no, definitely get some rest first because you've got to build up your strength for what comes next. And uh, as you say, and especially as a Republican, Finding things you can do to help that don't require you being elected, it, I, I think, is Republicans need to have the attitude that it not only politicians can help you. In fact, actually, politicians, I think, cause more harm. What do you think about that, Darius? I, I agree with you, especially when Democrats are in power, as we see right now. But, you know, that's why I do my cleanups, uh, American cleanups that we've been doing for the last two years that will continue to go on. That's why I do my clothes drives and my fruit, fruit, food drives uh, for the uh, underserved and the homeless community. So um, I'm a philanthropist. I've always uh, loved giving back. I do a lot of work with the Down syndrome and the uh, uh, autism community. So none of that stuff's going to stop. And that's how that's another reason. And I agree with you. That's another reason why I know uh, this is our seat and we're going to win because I'm already doing those things and it's only going to intensify over the next few years. Now, the, the person who won the seat, how much of a disaster do you think they're going to be? What do they believe in? <laughs> well, they believe in... Uh... Uh, everything I don't, you know, one of the things she believes in is, uh, making all drugs legal. Uh, that includes fentanyl, crack, heroin, uh, things of that sort. Uh, she's been a part of this disastrous administration that spent almost $5 trillion, uh, since they've been in power over the last two years. And actually with a straight face sit here and wonder why inflation is running rampant in this country. Uh, she's a part of the same administration that doesn't believe in energy independence for the United States of America, but believes in going out and actually trying to barter oil from our enemies, different communist countries and things of that sort. So she's in lockstep with people like Nancy Pelosi. She's in lockstep with people like Maxine Waters and Joe Biden. And uh, again, it clearly showed yesterday uh, with the results that there is a certain segment of this district um, that is tired of it. And let's not forget, people don't realize that my district, the gains that I'm talking about, this came in a district that is the most Democratic district in the entire state of New Jersey. So this is not like I got redistricted and it became more Republican. No, our campaign made it more Republican because it actually got uh, stayed the same or got a little bit worse when they redistricted it. But we actually made it Republican uh, by the campaign that we ran, by the issues that we focused on. And you can clearly see that in the numbers today. No, 
That's right. Now, Darius, what did you learn? For, what surprised you in your first run for office? Good question. Uh, I think, I guess I shouldn't be surprised too much, but I think one of the things that surprised me is uh, how loose people in politics are with the truth and how, how do I put this in a nice way? Uh, you know what, I'll just say it, how out of their mind certain people are, you know, within the political world, man. It was actually quite scary to see sometimes, just to see how, how disconnected from reality and disconnected from the truth certain people uh, were, especially adults. These are grown adults that are usually involved in these things and that we're talking to. These are not little kids. So to see how they would just lie on certain things, whether it was about politics in general and the issues or about me as a candidate, you know, I had people that know nothing about me coming out just saying the most egregious stuff and calling me this, calling me that um, with a straight face on it. And, you know, it was just really eye-opening into um, – I like to tell people over the last couple of weeks, I told them it actually gave me uh, – uh, made me feel a little sympathy towards certain celebrities and things of that sort when they have all these egregious things just thrown out there about them. And just to see people do it so callously that don't really know you, have no idea what they're saying, and literally could Google something in five minutes and find out that it was uh, absolutely a lie was just something that kind of opened my eyes. But uh, at the end of the day, I had a lot more positive uh, support than I had people like that, which was very surprising because typically being a Republican, especially in this state, you will find uh, a lot of aggression towards you. But uh, we really had just overwhelming support, man, and I couldn't be more proud of the campaign we ran. Now, so I was watching on YouTube a few weeks ago all these videos that people put out driving through hoods at night, driving through bad neighborhoods at night. And they had one video where they had one of the worst hoods in America. And you'd think they'd be in Chicago or maybe South LA, but actually it was a surprise to me. One of the top worst hoods in America, this is not gonna surprise you, I don't think, is Trenton, Trenton, New Jersey. Now, first off, does that surprise you? This is not an official de designation. It's just some guy who did this video. Is I've I've been in trend before, and it did seem really bad. So does that surprise you that Trenton was called one of the worst hoods in America, Darius? Oh, it, it doesn't surprise me at all. In fact, New Jersey over the last, uh, let's say, 30, 40 years um, has had three cities, um, possibly four with Atlantic City being thrown in there, that have been at the top of the most dangerous cities in America list, and that's Trenton, New Jersey, as you said, that's Camden, New Jersey, and that's Patterson, New Jersey. Uh, and then Newark and Atlantic City aren't too far behind that. So that doesn't surprise me at all. Um, Trenton has had a, a significant increase in violent crimes um, out there over the last few years. And, you know, that's why what we did was so special, because we made gains in Trenton, New Jersey, that are uh, classic, long-standing democratic strongholds and it's no wonder why we woke up and where did they turn the machines off yesterday all throughout mercer county which encompasses trenton new jersey because and i believe a lot of it had to do with the work that we went and put in out there um we knocked on over five thousand doors out in trenton new jersey and i even had some of the people that were helping me uh let me know that it seemed like they were being targeted they moved their voting station and stuff like that so they were aware um not only aware but scared of the work that we were doing in trenton new jersey and don't 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 think i was just out there in the morning either i was out there at night in the middle of the projects out there doing events and stuff like that but 
but they showed me a lot of love out there, and that's how I know we made a significant difference. Now, so do you have any plans for a sort of Trenton renaissance? Because Trenton is in a not bad position to have a renaissance. I'm going to say it's located in a very good place on the East Coast, close to Philly, close to Newark and New York, where there's no reason that Trenton is having the problems it's having. And I'm sure it's not just the people are cursed there. Do you see the possibility of Trenton making some kind of turnaround in the next few years? And how would you do that, Darius? Absolutely, especially with somebody like me running. And the way we do it is staying engaged, staying active, staying on the ground with the people, not necessarily the churches, not necessarily the political uh, candidates and the political parties out there, but the actual uh, people. So one of the things that I'm hoping, which I think we'll be able to accomplish, is because we made such significant gains, even though we didn't win, that should increase our fundraising. Now, for those of people that don't know, my opponent, Bonnie Watson Coleman, was the only Democrat in New, in, in New Jersey that didn't raise at least a million dollars. So this is a woman that doesn't have a lot of name recognition. She doesn't fundraise a lot of money, and I think we took some of that fundraising away from her. So I think because of the gains that we made, and we'll be able to make a very poignant part about those gains and really show people the gains that we made, I think we'll be able to increase our fundraising tremendously. And if we're able to do that, I'll be able to go out to places like Trenton, New Jersey, do the block parties that we're talking about, help bring constituent services out there, help give them ride-sharing programs, which is one of the things we're going to be working on with this documentary and the school systems out there. Because for me talking to the people out there and going directly to the people, I was able to find out a lot of the problems that they're dealing with. And one of the most significant ones is them not, believe it or not, not having transportation for their kids to school. You know, Democrats like to talk about how public school is uh, in an right for all Americans. Well, so is public transportation when it comes to getting those kids to their schools. But unfortunately, a lot of kids, um, a significant portion of them, do not are not able to get buses to school because they live outside of the two-mile radius of there. So we're going to focus on those things, bring funding to those things that these uh, people in Trenton need and desperately want. And I think that's going to continue to uh, show that I'm, not, that I'm the real deal and they can trust me. And I've gotten some text messages just today from people in Trenton. And all they said to me was, make sure you don't disappear on us. We're here for you. Let's keep going to work. And we got your back. And I got theirs, too. Now, of course, if they get to school, the kids may learn pronouns. They may spend spend time on learning graphic novels that are really graphic novels with how to have gay sex. And uh, we've seen that. And do you think the schools should be focused on stuff like reading and math? And specifically, let me say math, I think also... No school I know really does a good job of teaching practical life skills. For instance, how to keep the balance in your bank account and stuff like that. What do you think about that, Darius? What happens to the kids when they get to school? They're learning nonsense. Am I correct? Yeah, in a lot of cases, especially here in New Jersey, that was a big fight for us, and that's why my biggest platform was school choice and education reform. And within that, we wanted to make sure we brought uh, financial literacy courses to grades as young as first grade um, in all the school systems. We wanted to make sure we bring the trades back to school because we know not everybody um, is either made for or wants to go to college. And a lot of times, those trades, um, with those trades, you'll end up uh, literally making more money uh, having a trade than you would 
uh, getting a college degree in a lot of cases. So absolutely, we want to we focus back on the fundamentals like reading, writing, social, uh, social studies. And in places like Trenton, we know that over 90% of the kids, K through 12, can't read or write right now at their actual grade level. So it's funny that well, it's not even funny. It's disgusting that, you know, these Democratic politicians especially are focusing on things like gender identity and the LGBTQ uh, courses in school for grades as young as first grade when you have places like Trenton, New Jersey, where they can't even read or write at their grade level. I think that's a little bit more important uh, than focusing on some certain social issues like that. And I think a lot of parents feel the same way. And so you're talking about the importance of learning a trade. I suggest also that a lot of those young people who learn a trade, such as construction or plumbing or electrical work, they put it to work in Trenton, because I think some of those neighborhoods, like some parts of Trenton, all you can do is tear down dangerous buildings that are a blight on the community and rebuild. It's important to rebuild. And those young people who learn a trade can be the people who do it. Does that make sense, Darius? Yeah, that makes complete sense, and that's what we want to focus on. We want to focus on those apprentice programs, um, so we have people that are willing to sponsor um, those people that learn the trade and get the degrees in certain areas to uh, come back to Trenton and, and help put inject life back into it. You know, Trenton used to be one of the manufacturing hubs of New Jersey. You know, Trenton was a very, very great, uh, lucrative vibrant place to live uh, just a few decades ago. So I think you hit it right on the head. We want to make sure we not only train these people up, but we want to make sure we get them back to areas that can actually use their skills, appreciate those skills, and help progress those communities. No, no, that's, I think it's a great plan. Now, you know, I was thinking if I'm going to put a positive spin on the election, I would say it was a setup election. In other words, it's getting us in a good position, Republicans, I mean, for 2024. And I think it did accomplish that. We did move closer to the goal. We may not have achieved a red wave this time, but I think this is possibly a setup election, or as they say in sports, a rebuilding year. What do you think of that idea, Darius? Yeah, I, I, I thank you for being so astute about that and really understanding because that's exactly how I feel. I think based on what we did in Florida, Texas, and Ohio, um, that is literally the path to the presidency in 2024. At this point, no matter who we put up um, as president, especially if the Democrats rerun Joe Biden. So the fact that DeSantis did what he did, especially in places like Dade County, um, I think we can definitely count on that going overwhelmingly red in 2024, as well as Texas, as well as Ohio. And as we all know, nobody's ever won the presidency without winning those places. And I think we just set ourselves up to do just that. I think J.D. Vance in Ohio is going to be a good advocate for the agenda. So do you think that the uh, this also could cause the Democrats to be arrogant? In other words, they didn't lose as badly as they could have. So I think it might cause the Democrats to some extent rest on their laurels. What do you think of that? 
Well, I think uh, arrogance is just uh, going to be an everlasting trait of Democrats, um, especially when they can do things like what they did in Trenton, New Jersey, and Mercer County yesterday and shut down all the Dominion machines or claim that there's a problem with every single machine and they're all shut down throughout the entire day. So when they're able to just get away with stuff like that and continue to do it, um, of course, that arrogance is definitely going to persist. But the good thing is somebody like me, I've learned a lot in this campaign, even when it came to what happened with the machines. And we have things that we know we need to fix for next time, like having an abundance of challengers. We had more than we've probably ever had in, in recent history this time around, but we're going to increase that tenfold uh, the next time around, especially in places like Trenton, New Jersey. So we know we have people on the ground that are watching these things. And, you know, I can tell that it really bothered them because they weren't used to having their own, especially black challengers that were challenging for a Republican candidate in Trenton. And I heard all the stories. They were cursing at some of them, uh, you know, really trying to intimidate some of them, um, our challengers and things of that sort. So we have all, we have reported all these instances. I have um, records of all these things and we know we shook them up a little bit. And if they were shook up this time, just wait till we run next time because we're going to, we're going to increase on everything we learned this time around. So Darius, this is a, a question I've got to ask you. Did you experience any racism in this campaign? Because I know people who, you know, racism from your political opponents. You know, I think I would include something like, I can't say the word, but it's a short version of the word raccoon. A lot of black people seem to call Republicans that word. And I think that's a form of racism. Did you experience any racism from your political opponents? Oh, I, I wasn't like, I think I was maybe called a once or twice on social media by people that live like five states away that knew nothing about me. I just happened to boost a post and they saw it and they come on you. But, you know, I haven't been one of the uh, black conservatives that's experienced a lot of that because I think people understand who I am. And because of how I'm running, you know, most Republicans, again, won't go into places like Trenton, Plainfield. We know they won't. They told us at certain events, they're like, you guys be careful. We won't go there. So me going there, them knowing that I come from an underserved community and the way I talk to them and deliver my message and the, the love that I actually showed them, um, I think uh, that. That is the reason why I don't really experience a lot of those things. I will say that probably the only racist thing I experienced is probably my opponent never saying my name. I felt like she, uh, you know, because I was a black man in the Republican Party, I guess she didn't feel uh, that I deserved uh, or was worthy of her actually ever saying my name out loud. So that's probably the closest thing to racism I really experienced. That's interesting. Well, that's good. I'm glad because, again, I've known candidates who did get that. But you're right. If you're not hanging with Candace Owens every night, a lot of people, you're not on the radar as a black conservative. Does that make sense? Not knocking Candace, I'm just saying. No, I get it. And it makes a lot of sense. And it's funny because I do work with Candace's organization and actually her social media director is my campaign social media director. And we were just having that same conversation the other day. And I was telling her, you know, there are certain things I know. And I know we both like Candace and her message. And I agree with 99% of the stuff that she actually says. But sometimes it's not about what you say. It's about how you deliver it. Right. It's about how you interact with people. So sometimes you got to know, especially as a black conservative or just a black person in general, when you're speaking to that community, your community, you need to have the ability to be able to pull it back and have some understanding and be able to understand where they're coming from and actually show that empathy for them. If you don't, you're going to get some of those results where um, it's more people that don't look like you that you end up catering to than 
that do look like you. And that's why I think I received the love of people from all over, all religions, all makes, um, all everything. Again, in Middlesex County, where I had the biggest gains, that's the most diverse county in my district. It's actually the most diverse county in the entire state of New Jersey. So that just showed me a diverse group of people. Once we got really diverse in those areas that Democrats usually hold on to, uh, they actually liked my message. It appealed to them. They liked me. They liked what I was talking about. And they came out and voted for me. So I agree with you a thousand percent. That's why I'm always very conscious of the way I act, the things that I say, because I truly am a man for unity. And in order to be that way, you need to know how to move, know how to speak to people and be able to pull it back when it's necessary. And I really wonder how much of it, uh, the lack of success among the GOP for years, it's changing now, was really no effort whatsoever. I worked a few years ago on a race in Louisiana for Senate, and I was going to black neighborhoods. And the constituents there, they'd never ever had a Republican show up at the door and ask for their vote. These are black voters in Louisiana who for decades had never seen a Republican in the neighborhood once and just say to them, hi, I'm this guy, I'm a Republican, I'd like your vote. Does that make sense, Darius? Yeah, absolutely. And I heard that repeatedly. You know, a lot of these neighborhoods just don't see Republicans, you know, and it's just common sense, man. And that's why I was like, you know what, when I started this, great. If I get the GOP's party or the party support, that's great, but I'm not going to count on it. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to be me. I'm going to devise my own plan and go into these areas the GOP doesn't normally go into. And again, if people come on after that, then we'll take the support. Um, but yeah, you definitely, you know, hit it on the head. And those people under. So, so Rod, I, I know I said I get you. I'm sorry I, I got to you so late. I forgot. Forgive me. Rod, do you have any final statement for, J for uh, Darius Mayfield? Rod. Oh, no, I'm just, I'm just, uh, you know. Uh, proud to know Darius, and, and and like you said, his his uh, his attitude is great, and he's you know agreed, and he's going to keep on fighting, and that's one thing that uh, we can't we can't stop doing, you know, we can't stop fighting, and Darius is right there, and he's in the ring, and he's going to keep throwing punches, and he's not going to just you know let their let them you know. So it's fair him. to say, Darius, that you have Rod's endorsement. Is that right, Rod? Hundred percent. The all important Rod from Philly endorsement. Congratulations. Appreciate you, Rod. <laughs> now, so you're taking a week off. You're going to have a nice bit of vacation. Relax a little. Well, something like that. I'm going down to Florida. Hopefully I get to meet up with DeSantis while I'm down there. So make sure you guys follow my social media to see if that happens. But there's a little bit of work and vacation. I'm never going to stop working, man. And uh, we got some plans. So we're right back at it. Well, I hope you get some nice weather. Apparently they just had a hurricane. An election day hurricane, but one hurricane is Ron DeSantis, and we'll be talking about him in the coming weeks. We're out of time. Darius Mayfield, thanks so much. Great appearance. Rod from Philly, great job. Sorry I didn't get you early there, but Rod, great job producing and co hosting. And also, thank Nabosha Malish for explaining what's going on in the Ukraine. Russia conflict. We'll be back tomorrow on The Backstory.